Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Again, let me tell you something. If you don't know whether you're born again or not, well, you're not. It's as simple as that. I wish somebody's soul in this building would catch on fire and burn with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about that kind of fire that the fireman can't put out. Something that starts burning way down in here. You know, Pastor Jake touched on something a while ago. He was talking about that good king, Jehoshaphat. Judah and Israel had some trouble with some kings. But Jehoshaphat was a good king. Now, this brother finds himself in trouble. There are several other kings, three, four of them, Moab, Mount Ammon. They're surrounding Jehoshaphat, and they want to take not just his life, but the life of all Israel. Jehoshaphat goes down to the midst of all these people, and they've got like a little stand he stands up on. And he shows his humility towards the entire nation as he stretches his hands towards God. And he says, oh God, I have no strength to stand up against this mighty army. I don't know what to do, but I do know how to come to you. And then God sends a word into the midst of that camp. Pastor Jake touched on it. I'm just kind of staying in line with what he said. Then the Spirit of God came into that camp. It didn't stop on the front row where all the dignitaries were. It didn't go up to the choir stand where all the musicians were. But it came into the midst of the congregation. God knows where you are. Don't think he don't. And he knows how to get to you when he wants to. But the spirit of God came to Jehaziel and touched him. He said, now you tell Jehoshaphat. You don't have to worry about this battle. You don't even have to fight in this battle because the battle is not your battle. The battle is God's and he knows how to deliver you. Let me tell you something. There might be 
some of you going through some pretty deep water and you don't know which way to turn. Do like Jehoshaphat and turn to God because he knows how to deliver. He is a God of deliverance and he knows what he's doing. Listen, boy, oh boy, this took me off chart trying to follow Pastor Jake, but we'll catch up. Those children of Israel, them three Hebrew boys that were cast into the burning fire furnace of that wicked King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that some of the greatest men in his army bound them boys with their clothes on and pitched them alive into the burning fiery furnace. And even though they were in the fire, heaven was in their hearts. <laughs> and the fourth man was in there with them. He gave them a fireproof suit. Told that fire, don't you burn their bodies. Don't you singe their hair. Or don't you scorch their clothes. When you stay true to God, he'll stay true to you. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you where you are. He sees you where you should be. And when he looks at you, he sees you through the blood. And it is the blood of Jesus that gives you the authority to operate in the anointing of God. And it is the anointing that will make the difference. That anointing will give you the power to do what the person with the position can't. God knows how to get the job done. Not just break through. Some of you might be going through a breakdown. Some of you might have gone through a break in. Some of you just might want to break even. But God says, I want you to have a break out. And when you have a breakout, you can do things that you never, ever thought you could do because you have been bought with a price. <laughs> the precious blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. Job 1 starts off with God having a council meeting. And uh, you maybe think, well, why would God have a council meeting? Well, he did. And the Bible went on to say that Satan came also. Oh, Vic. Where's Vic? 
You at the back? Yeah, finally. <laughs> That's your name, brother, Vic. Not many Victors here. I saw your picture up there. Come here for a minute. Come here. Don't walk away. Come here. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm off track again and mine will stay off. <laughs> uh, you gave blood 200 times, 200 pints of blood. I never knew you had that much blood in you, brother. I neither. Okay. Well, you know what? They're having an announcement for it, and I guess you're the best poster boy for it. Maybe you can say, I know they showed it up there. Maybe you're the poster boy. You only got a few minutes. <laughs> there goes this pastor's message. Anyway, yes, I want to I encourage everybody to give blood. It's easy. It doesn't take long, about an hour every two months. Remember, the motto of the Canadian Blood Service is, it's in you to give. How many, how many own a car? I thought so. Truck? Do you change your oil in your truck? Do you change, do you change the transmission fluid? Do you change all the other fluids? Do you change your furnace filter? Why don't you change your blood? Mm. Your blood is more important than the oil in your car. It doesn't take long. In, in the 200 do donations I give, I've changed my blood 25 times. Wow. It's taken 50 years. But it's in you to give. And I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that I have the ability and the health to do that. Remember, I encourage all of you, give blood. He did. Amen. Thank you, Victor. 200 times. If what the statistics on this board said is true, that means you helped save 600 lives. Wow. Now, before I got so rudely interrupted, I was talking about Job. The Bible, the very, the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And in this first chapter of the book of Job, Satan presents himself to the council of God, the uh, accuser of the brethren. And he comes to God and he says this. You, he opens up verse 1, 10, 11. You have put a protection about him so that I can't get through to him. He said, but if you remove that hedge, I will make that brother curse you to your face. But God knew something about Job that Satan didn't. He was not just a man. He was not just an extraordinary man. But he was a man that did extraordinary things. It got God's attention, and God bragged upon Job. Great leaders are not extraordinary people. They are just people that do extraordinary things. Because in a certain situation or circumstance, God put a demand upon their potential, then whatever that image was at that time, 
God would unlock it. When David went to bring that food to his brothers, he wasn't going down there to do battle. He wasn't going there to fight. There were no metro caterings. There were no Applebee's. He was going there to take some food to his brothers. And while he was there, the champion of Gath stepped out and began to defy the armies of the living God. And then God put a demand that was on David on that potential that he placed within him. And he said, what's going to happen to the person that takes this big man down? It was not something that he planned. It was not something he just got that day because sometime previous, the anointing came upon David. And like I said a few minutes ago, when the anointing is upon your life, you will do the things that the person with the position cannot do. Saul was the king, but he couldn't do it. But the anointing was upon David. And as a result, he did. I don't think Moses got up one morning and said, well, I think I'm going to get up today and be the leader of the children of Israel and take them out of Egypt. <laughs> you think that was funny? I, okay, I'll laugh too. <laughs> he, he didn't get up and say, I'm going to lead them out of Egypt. I didn't mean, I was not meant to embarrass because you work with me at the food bank. That's why I felt like I could say that. He went to Pharaoh. When he left the nation, all he had was a staff in his hand. I want to show you something here. Then, when he got to that burning bush where he met God face to face, God said, uh, Moses, what's in your hand? Just my staff. You see, we think we have to be in a certain place before God can use us. He can use you right where you are with what it is that you have. What do you have? I got a staff. Throw it down. And when he threw it down, that staff changed into a snake. Second Samuel 4, I think. Should have wrote scriptures down. Second Samuel 9 now. He told Moses, okay, it's time to go. And when Moses reached down his hand to pick up that serpent, it came back into a staff. And when Moses left, this is what the scripture said. You read it for yourself. And Moses picked up the rod of God. <laughs> when he threw it down, it was his rod. But after God had touched that stick, after the anointing was upon that rod, it was no longer the same. And it was called the rod of God. Once God touches your life, you will not be 
the same anymore. That great sculpture, Michelangelo, they asked him, he said, hey, brother, how is it that you always create these great masterpieces? You take your hammer and anvil and hit this chunk of stone. He wouldn't accept any of the credit. He says, I don't create anything. I've never created a masterpiece. What I do is take my hammer and chisel and I unlock the image that's on the inside. God wants to unlock that image that's on the inside of you. Because too often men and women, they want to be in the ministry, but they got too much of themselves in the ministry, and God can't use them. But when you allow the Holy Ghost to change us, then demonically inspired events that we call strongholds cannot stay in your life. We have been graduating for years, generations after generation of, don't, don't, don't shout me down, functionally illiterate individuals from high schools, colleges, and universities who know nothing whatsoever about God. Oh, know all about engineering and know all about science and technology. But if you don't have a knowledge of God, then you are going to be crippled for life. You can read about him. That's not good enough. If you haven't had an experience with God, then you just tread water. You can argue with my theology, but you cannot argue with my experience. These people experienced something. There has to be some advances in human history where we will forfeit all of these irrelevant issues and turn back to God. I'm not that great of a communicator, but I learned some time ago that there are four things you should keep in mind if you're going to try and communicate. Number one, what can they understand? If you don't know your audience, you're in bad shape. What will they appreciate? What will go over their heads? And what should I keep for another time? Listen, the gospel should never be boring. If what you are preparing to speak is boring to you, it's going to be boring to your audience as well. And if you are preparing a boring message, then change it. <laughs> what might be a good sermon for a 15-year-old might not be so good for an older person. You, you, you can show all the wisdom and knowledge and understanding you know. You can snore in Hebrew, you can cough in Greek, you can quote scripture by the yard, but if you fail to communicate, the people that's in your audience will go away lost as a bone high weeds. When you have a failure to communicate, the flock suffers. 
Can I tell you something about sheep? Hallelujah. I got to tell you this about sheep. I'm going to get there. But I, I just felt something on the inside of me. Sheep will not eat when they're in distress. And on top of that, they will not drink from rushing water. Why Psalm said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still water. But when they know the shepherd, they'll follow them and feed to the fool. God's looking for men and women, according to Ezekiel 22:30, to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And Satan is looking for Delilah's to put in your way like he did to Samson to prevent you from reaching your full potential and short-circuiture victories. Step over them obstacles. You can lose your job. You can lose your car. You can even lose your home. But whatever you do, don't lose you. Take a look back over your life and see for yourself some of the promises that you may have forgotten or even overlooked. They can be beneficial to you as well as others. David made a covenant with Jonathan. And now after Jonathan was killed up there on Mount Gilboa, he's looking for somebody in 2 Samuel 9. He says, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake. He cut the covenant with Jonathan, but it didn't stop there. Jonathan was long dead. And Ziba came there and said, well, there's one Saul's grandchildren left. And his name is Mephibosheth. But he didn't skip town. The brother's down there in Lodabar, which means barren, no pasture. That's how he thought of himself. As a matter of fact, when he came to David, he said, why do you think on such a dead dog as I am? Called himself a dead dog living in a barren place. That's how he saw himself. But that's not how David saw him. He said, you're going to sit at my table and eat with me. Because when God looks at you, my friends, he don't see you where you are. He sees you where you should be. And when he speaks to you, even though you might be empty, he speaks to you as if you're full. Because when he sees you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus. And it is the blood of Jesus that gives you the authority to operate in the anointing. And it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. See yourself the way God does. I want to tell you about another covenant, Acts chapter 1, and quickly. Jesus is rehearsing some words to his followers. It starts off by saying, what Theophilus, he had Theophilus to pin these words that, I don't know, either Paul or, or um, what's his brother's name? The doctor, Luke, somebody wrote it. But we're reading it now today. And he says, you know, 
I'm about ready to leave you guys, okay? I'm getting ready to go, go home. Now, I've been here for three and a half years, and I preached my heart up to you. And it's been 40 days since I have risen from the grave. And now it's time for me to be reunited with my family up there. But before I go, I have something to say to you. And now listen, as parents, grandparents, whatever you are, when you leave your home, the last thing you say to those that you leave in charge are probably the most important. Don't you kids let nobody in here while I'm gone. Make sure them kids go to bed on time. And no scary movies. The things that are important, we say them before we go. Now here's Jesus. Standing there in Bethany. About ready to go home. Just about ready to say goodbye. But he tells them, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. We've heard about John's baptism. We even heard about the fact that the disciples were baptizing in Jesus' name. But now Jesus is bringing up a different type of baptism. Wasn't that good enough? Jesus was baptized. Uh, but when he came to John to be baptized, John says, I, I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. When John looked at him and saw him coming, he knew there was a different type of baptism coming. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All the rest of the nation was looking for a lion to lead them. But John saw a lamb because he knew that it was the precious blood of the lamb that was going to redeem that nation from their sins. And before he introduced him to the world, he said, behold, the lamb of God. He said, but I have... A baptism of repentance. You don't need to be baptized from repenting. You did nothing wrong. Jesus said, my baptism is to fulfill righteousness. Then he went on to institute a new type of baptism. Hear what I say. Obedience precedes the anointing. Told him to go back and wait. Now, 10 days later, 40 days after he got up, and then 10 days further, 50 full days after his resurrection, they find themselves there in Jerusalem where he told them to go. And here's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And he said, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, let me just back up one minute. Jesus is now there in Bethany, about to go back to heaven. He was at the gate where only those that had the proper documentation could go. And it was him 
He was about to go back to glory. He didn't take an airplane ride. He took a plane air ride. He stepped on the cloud and the cloud received him out of their sight and took him back to heaven. Hallelujah. When Jesus left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. He left us with another comforter. I want to attempt to explain this to you in the next couple of minutes. The term here comes from the Greek word bapto. Now, I don't want you to think that I think I'm some great intellectual individual, but I did get this from a Greek text. Comes from the term bapto, B-A-P-T-O, meaning to dip or immerse or cleanse by dipping to make clean with water. The clearest example that I found to help me to understand this one from a Greek text from a poet and physician named Nicander, who lived about 200 years BC. And you see, that's why some people say that Peter's baptism was only for the Jews, because baptism predated even Peter. Anyway, he said this. Like there are four different words for the meaning of love, you know, storge, agape, eros, and uh, filial. There are different terms for the word baptism. Bapto means what I just said, to dip or immerse, to cleanse. Baptizio, which is the one that we are most familiar with, identifies with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are identified with him. See, when they're making pickles, Nicander said, you dip the vegetable in the hot boiling water to cleanse it. And then once it's cleansed, you take it and you put it in another solution of vinegar and salt and brine. And you don't pull it out, you leave it there until that solution that the cucumber is in gets in the cucumber and the cucumber is in the solution and the solution is now in the cucumber that is what we call sanctification or walking it out until we become what we are in Mark 16 says he that believes and is baptized shall be saved he that believes not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. And he's on his way, and he leaves us that authority to operate in his name. And Acts 2 says, and when? The day of Pentecost, 50 days to the minute, had fully come. They were all with one accord and in one place. And then suddenly there came a sound that did not come from Moscow, Russia, London, Paris, or New York, but came from heaven, like the rushing of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. They're in the solution. And then there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. 
and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now it's in them. Tongues are not the power. Tongues are just a representation that the power is there. Okay. Oh, well, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to turn these pages over. When you get in that solution, you're changed forever. That cucumber can no longer, that pickle can no longer go back to being a cucumber. It changes your language, changes your speech, changes your actions. I lived a miserable Christian life. I put that woman right there through a whole lot of changes because I was trying to do it myself. I don't know why some of you men laugh. You put your wives to the same thing. <laughs> but Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Once I found this out, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm now in the image of God. And when the enemy looks at me, he can't tell me apart from Jesus. Today, my name is Pastor Rick. Hey, I stand in his stead, the same authority. Well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the second time she disrupted me. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, when you see me, you see him. No difference. <laughs> Romans 8. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, that it was weak to the flesh. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That righteous baptism that Jesus came to fulfill is now a part of ours. When those three Hebrew boys were put in that furnace, they didn't have to worry about it because they knew one thing. If you deliver me, God, it's okay. But if you don't, I still won't bow. You can bleach my bones in the fire, but I am not going to bow. Because he is a God of deliverance. They had the revelation of who God was. And when you get the revelation of who God is, he'll give you a revelation of who you are. Peter preached, running from a woman just several days previous. I don't even know the man. Now he's standing up against the whole town. Preaches a message for three times, four times the number of people in this room get saved in one message. No intercom. No microphone, no internet. 3,000 people get saved because of the power of the Holy Ghost. They wanted to know what it was. The power of the Holy Ghost. And now the next chapter, he says, these signs will follow them that believe. You'll preach it, you'll teach it, and you'll prove it. And they went on doing that throughout the whole world. The next chapter... Starts off with Peter and John, chapter 3, Acts, verse 1. Entering into the temple. 
the beautiful gate. They see this guy who was lame from his mother's womb laying there, expecting to receive something from them. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, says, look, look on us. He looked up there expecting to receive. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I unto thee in the name, the most powerful name of all, of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And immediately, not two days later, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And Peter grabbed him by the right hand, lifted him up, and that fellow jumped up, walking into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter was changed, and he knew how to change other people. And I'm here to tell you today, you can be changed as well. I want to show you something, then I'm going to end with this. You, you see this glass I have in my hand, this pitcher of this water? I'm going to show you something. I just filled this glass up with water. I now put it in this pitcher of water. Now, I want you to distinguish between the water, the glass, and the pitcher. I'm this close, and I can't do it. What happens when we get in the Spirit? We get the Spirit of God in us. The world does not know us between whether it's God or whether it's us. And when we speak, we speak with the authority of God. And when they look, all that they can see is the authority of God. And when people look at you, they should see Jesus. Can you tell that cup from the... No. It's all the same. And when we get in that spirit, hallelujah. And I am finished. The rest of it, you have to read the Bible for yourself. <laughs> if there is something about the power of the Holy Ghost, I can't explain. And I want you to leave out of here knowing that no, Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper that shall rise up against judgment you will condemn that's the heritage of the servants of the Lord and our righteousness is of him you don't have to live it anymore let Christ live in you and when people look at you they won't see you they'll see him well you're dismissed Take your time leaving. You don't have to go home, but you have to leave here. <laughs>